another conclusion. September, Dead Island, Driver San Francisco, The Distance 3, Gears of War 3, the Eco and Shadow of the Colossus Collection, and A Closed World. Played none of them. I played a few of them, actually. I've played one of them. September was when I uh, pretty much left for good from Pop Matters, so uh, that ended my current game purchases significantly. Ah, uh, ah. Uh. So you want to talk about Dead Island first? I can talk about that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, Dead Island is a well, it's a, it's a it's a very interesting recreation of an island that's you know populated by zombies. It's very open world. You can do whatever you want, but it suffers from a number of uh, mechanical problems. Like you're always looking at your feet, and parts of it don't make any sense. Like yeah, like okay, looking at your feet for for starters, you have to. You have to collect money from corpses, right? You have to, to loot their bodies. So you're always looking at your feet. It's kind of distracting, actually. Game shouldn't make you do that. You know, it, sh- it shouldn't make you do that. And uh, beyond that, it's a it's a competent zombie game, but I wouldn't put it up there with Left 4 Dead. Left 4 Dead felt more intense. You know, you felt like you were running away. You were always worried about stuff. But here, it's like the slow-moving zombies. It's, it's, very, de- uh, it's very dead rising. It's a game. It's a game. That's what I would say. <laughs> well, I got a I got a free copy sitting next to me, so there are there are interesting parts about it. It's that the characters are given more characterization than uh, they are in most games. Like there is a, a Borgini, um, uh police officer, a policewoman. She you know she's had to deal with sexism. She's had to deal with a lot of shit about her race. So that's one of their backstories. Another one is. Uh, failed football player who, you know, got caught abusing steroids, and now he's trying to make a name for himself. Then there's a rap artist who, um, uh, he wants to gain his fame back because, you know, he's not popular anymore. And then there's a, uh, what, damn it, dog. There's a Chinese, uh, cop, uh, female officer, you know, who, uh, who's, uh, living up to her father's reputation. It's, it's all, I mean, the characters are given a lot of character, surprisingly. Kind of Sounds cool. like he's tearing into your PC over there. Staring into a box that I just received. Well, give him the box. He has the box. He's tearing it apart. I don't feel like stopping him right now. <laughs> so everybody's uh, going to put up with it. Oh, uh, I'm so glad I'm not editing this anymore. <sighs> Driver San Francisco, you played it, didn't you? Yep, just finished it yesterday. Actually, I played a little more of the aftermath of the open, you know, when you have the open world after yeah. the game is done. I played yeah. a little more of that today. And if I didn't have, and I had to get, well, it's like I gave it back because I wanted to get the next game from the library, but they were closed. So I just dumped it in the slot. Yeah. Wonderful thing, it. my library. It's a wonderful game. It's It does things that I wish more games would do. It opens up to the idea of magical realism. It's not fantasy in the traditional high fantasy. This is a different world. Here are the here are the rules of how they govern this world. Here is here's your real world, but here's just something magical introduced into it. We're not going to explain it because it's magic. Run with it, and they do run with it to the point that it starts explaining game tropes and gaming limitations. Like he says, like the guy's getting. A, 
like the like one point you're chasing this this criminal and she gets away but the over the bridge and he says I can't follow her why not I don't know I just can't and it's the reason is it's because it, that part of the world hasn't opened up in the <laughs> world yet but the thing is I don't know something and the heart you start hearing music like the beep 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 as like the 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 thing goes up it's not a spoiler it's explained after yeah. the first cutscene happens that you're actually in hospital and this is a dream Oh. within your coma and you hear, the heart starts getting up I don't know, I can't cross the barrier let's just go back to the station and figure out what to do next it was like, that's brilliant yeah, this is pretty smart and it just you, you can actually jump into and the premise out so stupid at E3 and the way they tried to flip, this sounds so stupid it's brilliant because they don't because it's the execution has to be understood in long form. You can't... If you show it in a burst, it's like, ha, huh, that's fun. That's funny. That might be okay. It's kind of stupid, though. And it is in short bursts, but over the long run, as it keeps going on, as it, the little details of what you can do with this shift ability to jump into any car, into any person, it's just brilliant in what you can do. And then, especially when you jump into a car that has a passenger... Mm-hmm. And then you're, you, that car's only purpose is to slow down the bad guy by causing a hit and run. And it's just hilarious. It's like, Grandma, what are you doing? Grandma, jeep! Server protect me. That, that is pretty funny. And it was like, at one point, it was like, hey, what are you doing? Why are you driving so fast? Ah, we're driving so fast. Arr, you have to you owe me a beer. You didn't talk like a pirate. I captain. <laughs> it was like, what car did I just jump into? Wow. That sounds funny. And so, and the thing is, you, there's so many cars. You can take control of buses. I've accidentally jackknifed trailer trucks on the highway. Mm-hmm. There's just and there's just so many recurring characters. Like a lot of the side, like the main story missions won't unlock until you do side stuff. And the only reason it's explained is like, huh? I can't seem to do that now. I have to help people around the city and get things in order first. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's magic. We don't have to explain it. And so I have to say, it is. And like these two recurring people who escape their crime boss families from Asia but need tuition money for college decide to win it through street racing, and they keep coming back. And eventually, the guy, you know what? This is the last race. I'm saving your ass once, and then I'm shipping you off to Borneo. <laughs> it was like wow. what? And recurring, like a recurring side gang, uh, side evil guy bomber comes through. And there's FBI, bumbling FBI agents trying to escape. All of this to facilitate the, and it actually is a mystery. You don't interact with it in any other way than, uh, just following or driving cars in many different ways. And they use probably every way you can use driving a car as an interesting aspect with different missions types. But what, but it's these are cops. These aren't just cops in name. They investigate. They do actual police work. Wow. I, I was amazed by this. Police actually doing police work, following suspects, looking for evidence, looking at the likely suspects and checking up their rap sheets, calling people who know stuff to find out what the stolen stuff was going to be used for. A lot of writing this, went into this game, it sounds like. It did, and I was amazed. For a driving game, it's got a lot of cutscenes, and it all works. The characters are wonderful, especially your partner, who 
one one of the missions is to convince your partner you have these abilities. That's incredible. And it's just here and jumping back into the body every time after you've left to go and do something. He says, are you back or are you a zombie? And it takes place in the modern day, but it's got this 1970s cop mentality in the music, in the style, in how action is, how the, they talk. It's all modern day, to, but it's it's like a 1970s cop show. Yeah. This wonderful, wonderful magical realism sprinkled on top of it that just brings it all together and makes it work. I want to play this game. <laughs> Absolutely, and it's a crime that it just. It, it's one of those games that got missed, and it shouldn't be. This is the kind of things that you just you hope comes along. Especially, I've been on a, a, a driving game binge, and it was like, oh, Burnout Paradise, and then I played like five other games. It was like, can't we have more Burnout Paradises? And then I got Driver, and I said, thank you! I don't have to play bad racing games anymore. I can play a good one. That's yeah, awesome. this is, this is going to be... Definitely going to be in my top list, my list for best games of the year. One of them. You're gushing about it. Yes, you yeah. Are. <laughs> you played Resistance Three. Yes, I did. It's awesome. No, really, it, it is. It, like people are like, okay, why do I keep bringing up straw man? Uh, <laughs> ATA people. I don't know. Uh, it's easy. To, there are other ways to say it. Okay, there, it's easy to complain and say Resistance Three is just a shooter, just a FPS, and so on. But I think that would be selling it short. I think Resistance 3, it's actually a lot like Half-Life 2. Uh, it, it pays a lot of tributes to it, like the, even the location is similar. And it does it in such a way that I would like to call it like Half-Life 2 and a half, you know? The, th- the thing about Resistance 3 is that it, it takes place in a world that has been devastated by the aliens. Like they have already won. And so you are just doing what you can to protect your family. That that is the premise of the game. That that is the simple premise of this game. And it it it, it does it without um as an FPS it does it without using any of those uh those shitty tropes that you find in modern video games where you know you you hide behind a rock to heal up or you can only carry two weapons at a time. They they got rid of all of the they made it back like the old FPS games where you can carry all the guns at the same time, and with the added bonus of being able to, the uh, the added bonus of being able to upgrade your weapons, which is interesting because it sort of rewards you for using the same weapons over and over again. So like, I I really like using the machine gun. It upgraded that weapon for me so that it actually shoots penetrating bullets, for example. Does it have the kooky weapons that all Insomniac games have? It does have kooky weapons. Yeah, there's a weapon that turns people into zombies. Because <laughs> I, I played the first the hell out of the first Resistance. I didn't yeah. have much to play, but it was still a damn good FPS. You had bullets that could curve around walls if you tagged an enemy. You had yep. radiation guns. You had a bomb that shot spikes. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a wonderful array of weapons. An interesting strategy because you could pause the game, switch the weapons, and come immediately back in. Yeah, it's. But then Resistance 2 disappeared, and no one really paid attention to the series after that, and then you come in gushing about Resistance 3. Resistance 3 takes all the good aspects of Resistance 1, brings it back in force, makes it even better. Like, you can upgrade a weapon this time around. So, yeah, it's got all those crazy ass weapons. You know, you can shoot through walls, you can tag stuff, and then shoot them from any direction you want. The hell have you done? Dog, stop that. I don't got. 
it also tells a very emotional story. You're a dad. You know, you're not the main character from, from the two previous games. You, you're actually different, uh, a different guy here. Uh, Joseph Capelli. You're not Nathan Hale. So you're not this hero badass of the Resistance. You're just there to protect your family. And you're doing whatever it takes to, to make sure that your family can survive. That, that's the story. You know, it's a very, very personal story. It's not a save the world. Yeah, that's, uh, that's me gushing about Resistance 3. You should definitely play it. And I will AFK for a second to see what my dog has done. Continue. Chris, did you play? You played nothing, so I, I, I played nothing. Did I you play Eco or Shadow previously? Sadly, uh, you know what? Just edit this part out of the podcast where I admit that I haven't played either of those games. Shut up! It's on uh, my to-do list. I had a copy <laughs> of Shadow of the Classes. It was still in the shrink wrap, and then somewhat, and then the next day they announced the HD collection. So I'm like, oh, I guess I should return this and wait, and then. The collection comes out, it's just like, I don't have any money to eat, much less play uh, Timing! Timing! What about a closed world that was a f- downloadable? I didn't have any time either. Okay. I've had, I've had this thing called exams. I get it. I'm just asking. I'm going to be defensive as hell. So should I bother asking you about the next three months either? Um, I've played Minecraft. Whoop de frickin' do. Everyone's played Minecraft. Yeah, should I just duck out? Well, I don't know if you want to stay. I mean... Because otherwise it's just Ian and me, and that's kind of... Which is fine. I just don't know what I'd be able to contribute to any of this. I mean, I could talk about... I didn't plan. (sighs) Me and my stupid planning. So, you play Gears of War 3, Ian? No, I didn't play it. Okay, October. Because none of us. Well, actually, I think we, we can talk about it though. It's uh, the only one I have any experience with. I have two, one and two. But the thing is, it's like it's like once two, it's like two was a bit long, even for my for the my attention investment. It was like I I, I don't really care much more about that series. Three female characters. That's what we're talking about, right? Wow, that's sad. <laughs> yeah. Mirror's Edge, had fem- Mirror's Edge had a female protagonist. Let's talk about that instead. I don't care it came out in 2008. I damn well want a sequel, and I'll talk about it as long as it takes to get one. You'll get a sequel eventually. Uh, October. Dark Souls, Rage, Orcs Must Die, Forza Motorsport 4, Batman Arkham City. Good month for games. Damn good month. So, I have a feeling you're going to be monologuing a lot here. Yeah, playing all of these. All of them, well, except for Forza. Have any of you played Dark Souls? Don't own it. No, I haven't. Okay, so Dark Souls is a follow-up to Demon Souls. It's a, it's a, you know, one of those games that's really, really hard. But I think be, um, it's easy to miss the point of the game when, when you think, oh, it's getting so hard. You know, it's just a cruel game. It's not. It's not. It actually teaches you how to play as you as you die. It's dying isn't doesn't require reload. You know, you just pop back and you know. At a place you saved, it's a, and you retain certain things like your experience is retained. You, you don't keep your souls, but whatever. And it's such a, it's such a, it handles games, uh, it handles experience differently than a lot of other games do. A lot of other games, they, uh, they make you, you know, reload if you die. A failure is a failure. You're fucked. But here, every failure, every death is a lesson to you. It's, a, it's, it's a, it's an opportunity to get better, to learn what you did wrong. And improve yourself. And 
that is Dark Souls. It is a, it is a very, very good game, man. I'm afraid that people are going to ignore it because, you know, Skyrim's out and so on. But Dark Souls, it's one game you don't want to miss, honestly. Rapid Fire Rage. Rage is, uh, okay. It's a solid FPS, but it's, it's, uh, it's bogged down by a lot of technical issues, I would say. Like, it, gameplay-wise, it's all right. You know, it's got a good setting, interesting characters and so on. But it feels, it feels like, a, like a tech demo. It should be something more. Like, they, they gave a lot of character to the, the, the aesthetic of the world, but not enough into... It feels kind of soulless at times. That's my problem with it. And like I said, you know, it's it's a tech demo, and it's not a perfect tech demo. The game looks like ass in some parts because of how the uh, mega texture system works. It's not perfect, and it allows them to render these really really huge worlds, but it's bogged down by the uh, by the, uh, the technical specifications in the Xbox 360 and the PS3 that it gets kind of ugly because you know they want to retain a 60 frames per second um, uh, at all times. It never drops below 60. And that comes at a huge cost to the way it looks. If, if I were them, I would have dropped it down to 45 or something in a way to be able to put more into the graphics instead of uh, having a look at mud all the time. Mm. It's a pity. The game should have been better. Orcs must die. Orcs must um, die as a cheat. You play it? No, I haven't. Um, it looks interesting, though, I suppose, if you're into tower defense. It is, yeah, it is tower defense in third-person mode. You actually control the dude who, you know, you, you build traps uh, while you shoot stuff. It, it feels, it feels um, like, a, like a cross between Dungeon Keeper and tower defense. Like in tower defense, all you do is build the uh, towers, right? But here, it's like you build traps, and they walk onto the trap. And you can, you can create all sorts of crazy, uh, crazy ways to defeat these, uh, these orcs who, you know, who invade your castle. And and the fun part about this is that you can compare your scores with other players in Steam. So, you know, if you're friends with uh, Orchimus Die, you can actually compare your scores with theirs. And there's a little metagame in that. That's fun. And it's a cheap game. Uh, I find myself spending more hours playing Orchimus Die than I do playing a lot of AAA titles. So I think that says a lot about the game. Or maybe it says a lot about me. <laughs> maybe it says a lot about AAA titles. Ooh, <clears throat> burn. Batman Arkham City. Batman Arkham City. Uh, great uh, successor to Batman, um, the first one. But it is, you know, let me gush for a second. Um, this game has the best combat in any game ever. It feels less like uh, less like combat and more like a dance. Because you are constantly doing combo moves. You're chaining your attacks. It feels so reactive. Like, I've never, I've never played any other game that felt so reactive as, as this. Like, Every single button that you press results in, in Batman doing something, you know? It is so good. You can combo your moves. You can use your gadgets. And, and on top of all that, the game is just so overwhelmingly large. Like, you wouldn't expect this of a AAA title. Usually, you know, you expect a... We have our lowered expectations where a AAA title is three hours, eight hours long. But not Batman. Batman's, like, at least 30 hours. And... It's because the world itself is so big. Like in Arkham, Arkham Asylum, it was divided into, into three hubs, west, north, and east. But here, you have the whole city, and you can explore the whole city, and there's the undercity as well. And each location is basically littered with all these different quests. You have all these different subplots that are 
you know, that Batman has to deal with all these different bad guys that uh, that are not the main bad guy. And you can do them at the same time as you're doing the, the main storyline. So there's just so much to do. It's, it's almost overwhelming. And I, I, personally, I'm kind of sad that they didn't include um, missions for, for Nightwing and Robin because it seems to me like that was what they were planning to do. Like you have the Catwoman missions, which play at the same time as Batman missions, and they're fun. You know, I, I think the, the game could definitely benefit to, to be even larger than this. And I'm hoping that they do something in the DLCs or, you know, maybe the next game will be even larger than, than Batman Arkham City. I think they really did themselves here. It's, a, it's one of the be- better sequels I've played. Usually sequels are just, like I mentioned earlier, I mean, we were talking about Portal 2, they're usually just uh, more, but not necessarily better. But here, it's like, they take it to a whole new level. It's like triple the amount of Arkham Asylum in here. Yeah, it's amazing. Okay. And here's the big enchilada. November. Uncharted 3 Drake's Deception, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, Elder Scrolls 5 Skyrim, Assassin's Creed Revelations, Rayman Origins, Saint Bro the Third, Minecraft, The Legend of Zelda, Skyward Sword. Oh, where to start? How about at the top? Uncharted 3? Yep. Have you played it? Nope, it's on my Christmas list. Uh, so I'm the only one who played it again? Guess so. Yep, I don't have money. I have very little money this time of year. Okay, hmm. I think I wrote a bunch of articles about Uncharted 2, but um, here it goes. Takes place after the second game. So, okay, Uncharted 3 is an example of a, of a sequel that's basically more of the same. It doesn't raise expectations. In fact, the combat is actually kind of worse. It's, it's worse than the second game, which is kind of sad, but uh, I mean, it's, a, it's a solid game, but it doesn't blow you away the way Portal 2 does. Like, you know, Uncharted 2 came out, it was like, whoa, so much better than Uncharted 1. But here it's like more of Uncharted 2. It's more like Uncharted 2. I combat that. I think the first one's actually the better of the two games. Really? Yeah. In, in what way? Well, one is mechanical and one is uh, literary. Ah. The mechanical one, mechanical one allows me to direct where, how hard I throw my grenade. Mm. Some, there is a certain area in... Uncharted 2, where you have to throw a grenade where you can't see where it'll land. Mm-hmm. Because the way it's set up, you have to move the camera for the thing to, for the little line of where it's going to land. But the yeah. thing is, you have to throw it into something that by the time you're looking straight up to aim at it, it's off screen, so you got to hope it's in, it's going to land where you want it to. Yeah. Uncharted 3 had the camera and the grenade throwing aspect as separate as separate inputs, mm-hmm. which meant I had a lot more control and could actually see what I was doing. You mean Uncharted 1? Uncharted 1, correct. Yeah, it, I don't uses, know it, it used the, uh, the, the, the gyro. Six-axis, which, yeah. which was a perfect application of it. It didn't come up that often, and when it did, it was easy and responsive to use. Except for the parts where you have to walk over the logs. That could have been cut, but I'm not talking about that. I'm <laughs> talking about grenade throwing. And the other one was, I just think Uncharted 1 was better because it had a bi- better sense of place. It, mm-hmm. it had, as uh, the old theater term, unity of place and unity of time. When you arrive at the island, it's in real time. The yeah. entire story takes place in real time. It's 10 hours, you arrive in the afternoon, you arrive in like mid-morning, and then it, it ends at sunset, which is in perfect tandem with how you play, with the time it took to play the actual sequences. Yep. 
Not so in Uncharted 2, and not so in Uncharted 3. And I just think that Unity gave a bigger sense of the place. It also gave a bigger... Which enhanced the danger, because you felt like you were really wandering around this forsaken island. Yeah, for a full day. Yeah. That's how, that's how long it took to play. I mean, a full day. One. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's pretty well done, I mean. When you think about that, but yeah. And plus the and I also written on the uh, the thematic relevance of uh, how people are of uh, greed of each of the characters and how it interrelates to the story of what's happening. And the second one didn't so much highlight that but confuse it because people were being greedy and then not being greedy and then being altruistic while while being greedy in yeah. different degrees to do, and it just muddled the whole thing which was good for its adventure pulp aspects but the first one I think was better the third is even worse they, uh, they have this character called Talbot he's a roving plot device he uses magic and none of it's ever explained it's like yeah he just does it you know he just survives a bullet or he does stuff and it happens none of it is explained I mean and here's the thing though they create this amazing amazing setting the Atlantis of the Sands. Such an amazing setting, but they never really go into it. They don't explain what it is or, or anything. It's like, you see it for a while and then it's gone. And it's like, really? Why? Because they want to focus on the uh, relationship between Nathan Drake and Sully, which we already know. We are already familiar with it. I, I don't understand why they focus the game on that. Why not Why not focus it on his relationship with Elena? Apparently they'd been married between two and three and we didn't know about it. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. You got married and then you got divorced. There's no emotional hook. It's like, you find out that happens and you're like, uh, are we supposed to care about it? Like, what the fuck happened? Yeah. That is, what, what's, that wrong is... with the, what's wrong with a husband and wife team going on adventures? It worked in the Mummy movies. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. The be- uh, I forgot to mention this one because I don't know, I don't know why I didn't put it on the list, but let's just talk them together because they're basically the same. They're too similar. Despite what the fanboys say, Modern Warfare Three and Battlefield Three. Not the same. Well, mm, multiplayer are completely different. I mean, I'll go about Battlefield Three first. It's a perfect successor to Battlefield Two, and it's got these huge maps that you don't see in any other game. They're really huge. You fly airplanes and so on. Um, what's there to say about it? I mean, it's it's a good shooter, you know. They're just, just all the same to me. I'm sorry, but all these man shooters just look completely identical to me. And I did the Battlefield 3 uh, multiplayer. Uh-huh. I don't know what happened between Bad Company 2 and Battlefield 3, but it somehow got worse. Really? Battlefield 2 was excellent multiplayer with it with the, the map setting, its mm-hmm. setting, line of sights, its destructible environment. And then the third one, the map I tried, it's like, I can't well, barely... I can't figure out people from the setting. It's confusing my eyes. It's too busy. It's closed off. It went from an open world, open world map, open map to corridor shooting. And it's hard to figure out how anything works. I couldn't, I could barely figure out where the enemies were. It was a Mm -hmm. mess. But Battle, and Bad Company 2 was such an excellent multiplayer system. Yeah, I don't know what happened there either. Everybody in the, uh, their Reddit community for Battlefield who complains about it. They're like, the minimap's useless. It doesn't tell them anything. It's just a mess. And, like, you have to familiarize yourself with the map if we can really get into it. But it wouldn't be necessary if the maps were actually good. They're not. They're horrible. I can't use them. 
As for Modern Warfare 3, I'd say it's as good as Modern Warfare 1. Modern Warfare 2, um, I'm talking about a single player here, by the way. I don't really play a multiplayer here. The, the second game, the story is kind of dumb. It's just really dumb. But the third game, it brings back the emotional and the sort of uh, momentum that the first game had. Yes, it, you travel all around the world doing different things with different characters, but it, it's tied in together. And, and here in the third game, the set pieces actually make a lot more sense. They are they're a lot more, um, what do I say? They're, they're more believable. There, there's a part where you go to Prague in, in Hungary and you are commando, right? You Apparently Prague has been taken over by the Russian military. They're bad guys. And you are, you are in the water. You're hiding from them. You can't do anything because they will spot you and they will all shoot you because the whole army is there. So you're wading through the water and and what you see, you see them executing civilians, and you can't do anything about it. It's harrowing. And this is this is like the early part of the map, you know, the, the mission. I mean, as you go through the mission, you, you you land in a resistance base, and there's all these resistance fighters. They're all gearing up. They're all they're like, we're going to take back Prague from these fucking Russians. They're all they're all equipped with weapons, and uh, the American soldiers and the British soldiers are also there. They're also part of the resistance. They're helping them out. And as you move through the mission. It becomes uh, as as you start winning, so do they. I mean, they uh, the resistance fighters actually drive the Russians back, and there's tanks and all that stuff. It, it is so amazing, and this is just one of the missions in in, in Modern Warfare Three that they were so well done. And all the missions are similar to this. I mean, they, each of them is a bit vignette, but it's so it's so well written. Like whoever came up with them, uh, who came up with the setting, it's like they really knew what they were doing. It's like it's like a movie experience, really. It's like so when you start winning that mission, you see that the uh, the resistance fighters in Prague, who include men and women, are beating back the Russians. You feel victorious. It is amazing. I, I don't often gush about single player campaigns in FPS games, but Modern Warfare Three is really one of the better ones, definitely. This is all fine and well, but for my opinion, as someone completely outside the first person first person shooter genre, uh, the fan fanishness that surrounds it, it's just like. This is this is splitting hairs over absolute minutia. This is a genre that that um, is fundamentally ir- it's a subgenre. It's a subgenre that is fundamentally irresponsible. That is proselytizing any- lies um, well, about how time, war any- is run, how the politics is run. You are by by participating in these games, by talking about these games, by being fans of these games, you are becoming willing participants in the military industrial entertainment complex. And you need to wake up and say that you will not take it any longer. There. She's I like shooting dudes. I like shooting she's ta- dudes. She's talking to you, Ian. The last, I know she is. I know she the is. last shooter I enjoyed was Medal of Honor Frontline from 2000. I like, I like man shooters, okay? I like shooting dudes. I like I like pretending that, okay? I, it's not really pretending. It's like when I shoot a dude, I, I know that the other dude on the other end is pissed off, okay? Because I get pissed off when I get shot, so... I like that. I, I like delivering misery into countless lives across the Okay, universe. if you're if you're playing, you know, multiplayer, all right, yeah, you're just you're just playing an elaborate form of cowboys and Indians, the same thing yeah. that we all did as kids. But if you're playing into these big like single player narratives of stuff like Homefront or or the new oh, modern warfare, I don't think we played into the narrative of Homefront on this <laughs> Nobody does that. I'm not accusing oh. you of that, but I'm saying that I think we were I think my statement of what the fuck 
I'm still. I, that was a generalized you there, okay? I'm shifting my yous yeah. because I'm uh, in I an angry that, mood. I'm, no, that's not true. I like the campaign in Modern Warfare 3, not because, you know, yes, yeah, it definitely plays into the uh, military complex, military industrial complex mentality, but it, it's for the same reason I watch a movie like Black Hawk Down. You know, the Americans lose in that one. It's it's just it's just sort of fun to experience, you know. And, and yes, I like, thought military life is fun as hell. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would just. I kind of wish we had someone else here who had played Modern Warfare to like have the opposite opinion because you were like gushing about it, gushing about it, and I know we're gonna get shit so that we're now Modern Warfare three. Pro- I haven't played it. I know I know nothing about it other than what I've read. Which why are you worried about what? Think you or, or of the games that you like? I mean, who gives a shit? Like I haven't shit. played it. I don't like it or dislike it. I haven't played it. Yeah, I know. But I'm just saying that if if well, someone I just like, like it on principle. So there we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really think that I, I just want to refer to Robert Yang's piece on the Radiator blog just one more time and saying it's just like it's not this one game. It's not just this one or two games. It's this entire culture of these games that incessantly reinforce a fantasy that are like further I galvanizing so- further galvanizing like an untrue paradigm that is corrupting how people think about how war is conducted. Yeah, I agree with that. Were you reading that, or did you say that off the top of your head? That was off the top of my head. What? Oh, because it sounded very similar to an argument in a different topic subject entirely. Well, I mean, I'm referring to Robert Yang's argument. Yeah. But... Well, no, no, I wasn't referring to that. It was like, it's not just one, it's not just two, it's all of them. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, that... Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, was that Nicole Level or something like that? There was like uh, some... Tracy really Lynn. Tracy Lynn, yeah, it's just like it's not just the one insult. It's I'm getting just better to remember who okay. wrote what. Yeah, but it's I, the same thing. It's just like it's like this avalanche of inappropriate misconceptions. Well, the thing is, when we were going to get like the the real modern shooter that was supposed to be realistic to what actually happened. Five days of Fallujah. Six days of Fallujah, and what happens? It dies. Yeah, it's Konami not chickened out. The one that was actually supposed to explain the horrors and the difficulties of what actually happened to these people, and they chickened out. So we don't even get to see if they've failed or succeeded. But it's not really even the matter of, oh, this thing succeeded, like, this this thing failed, or this well, thing artistically succeeded. Well, I mean, it's more, my concern is, like, why didn't it get more support? Why isn't this the story that we're so eager to tell? Yeah. Why, uh, why, are, why we, are we so eager to tell? We're still trying to make it. it. Atomic Games is still trying to get the funds to make it. I'm just, I'm just saying, it's just like I think it's, it's really indicative that we keep on telling these same old trench warfare stories that haven't been the norm for how war is conducted in nearly a century. Uh, no, it was uh, I said a, nearly. Yeah, because I was about to say like uh, Korea and parts of Vietnam were fought like that. Well, it's jingoistic. It's like all the all the game narratives right now are very jingoistic. They they portray you know the heroes as the victors and what they're doing is right, even though it's wrong. Like I don't agree with the war in Iraq. Who was it? Was it uh? Well, well, Afghanistan. We we had to do, but no, no, not really. There's no proof of anything. But that's a different story altogether. No, no, that's Iraq. There's no proof of anything. Iraq was a complete mess. Was there was there any really proof in Afghanistan though? I mean, we just know that the Taliban was there. We don't we don't really know that. They yeah, were they were they were hiding. The attacks. We actually had them. We had them cornered and we let them go. Anyway, it didn't need to be a ground invasion. Though. I mean, we it's could... really not even my concern if like if people like you and I play these games because I'm quite well aware 
that people that are most likely listening to this and have, you know, played this games and have participated in what we call kind of conceitedly the ludodecahedron apocalypse. I, I love how I just mentioned that turn to you and you were the one who's run with it the whole way. No one else will take it. I love it. But what is your email thing. address? Can you type it here? Or Steam? One second, I'm on a roll here. Okay, okay, sorry. It's just like, it's not really my concern that people like us play these, plays these, play these games that have like these problematic narratives. Because really, at the end of the day, I'm interested in games as a mass medium, as something that's, you know, reaching great numbers of people that, you know, don't have, you know, I was about to say the benefit of, and that sounded rather privileged and conceited, but they don't mm-hmm. have the same look upon it, and they don't have the same discussion being cast over it that we're used to. They're only seeing what this, like, this, like, mass media perspective that these developers and studios want us to see. Well, you could always do it on a bigger site with larger traffic, like, I don't know, Game Ranks. Yep. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that it's... (laughs) I'm saying that it's irresponsible of these big studios to post, to develop these games that create these vast misconceptions that spread xenophobia, that, you know, enhance support for the military industrial complex, something that, you know, Hollywood has also, you know, been quite cap in hand in, in subscribing to as well. Um, But that's just like, it goes beyond a particular industry. It goes into an entire culture of jingoism, as Ian put it, that um, these countries used to be these don't run. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so much that could be said about it, and not really enough space on this one little podcast. But it's something that I think you know is going to come to a head sooner rather than later. There and, is okay. something, an interesting fact here about the. Uh, they, they have a statistic. They say that people uh, in the military who are in the front lines who play a lot of uh, first-person shooters. They, uh, they tend to run into fire and not take cover, and they get killed. Sure. They, they, they think they're invincible. They actually did a study really? on this. The military did, yeah, the military did a study on this, and video gamers have a tendency to do suicidal things because they, they believe that they're invincible, like in a video game. Ironically, those who play Gears of War have the exact opposite effect because they, they are... Cover. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's more what the game teaches you because... Yep. Years of War, for all its faults, it's it shows the ugly side. It shows the ugly side. It's actually well done. It's a military game. You know, it's about the military. How bad it is. Or at least, it, well or at least it, or at least it tries to be how bad. I'm like, I'm not right. sure how the camera is framing it. The characters frame it like, "F yeah, let's go." Well, the camera, I'm not really sure what the camera is trying to say about it. So, so to direct the player's view of it. Didn't you play the second game? The... Ty gets killed. Kills yeah, himself. I know that. Was that, that did and uh, what, what what's his, what are the what are the brothers' name? Comma Carmine. Carmine. Yeah, That's those right. guys. Like, dude, he was the li- the most likable person here. Yep. Yeah, and I think Gears actually is a lot more faithful to the real military than a lot of these uh, military shooters are. Space Marine, a futuristic, post-apocalyptic shooter, is more faithful than modern warfare. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, we could get into a whole splitting hairs argument on, like, what is realistic versus realism versus verisimilitude, but 
then we'd start talking like my game criticism classes, which I'm not really eager to do. Skyrim? Try oh, to God. keep it under five minutes. You guys talk about Skyrim first. Yeah, I, I, I would to... talk about Skyrim, but I took an arrow in the knee. Shut uh, up. I don't even that know what that means. That was just for you, Ian. I don't <laughs> even know what that means, and I've seen it everywhere. Play it's it. just because it's an overused line in the game itself, and then oh. you know, everything that's overused thus becomes a meme, and the kids at the site that I work for all say it now, and so it's completely infectious, and... Yeah, so that's, I guess, the only takeaway. Actually, I found it interesting when the game first came out. I have not played it yet, and I don't plan to pick it up until it's significantly dropped in price, or someone is very generous and donates a copy to me on Steam because I'm a total slut for donated games. But uh, the, what was interesting to me is that when it first came out, there were a bunch of people who, on my uh, Twitter feed who were all playing it, and they would keep exchanging notes with each other. It's like, hey, did you find this thing here? Hey, did you check out that thing there? And even without playing it, I was constructing this sort of elaborate mental map of what this world looked like and how people were kind of filling in all these little details on their own. And quite soon, obviously, then the fan wiki sprouted out and sprouted up and, you know, uh, fans from all over the world were contributing details and sorting out things and creating guides and all of that. And it was just interesting to see this entire, like, collective knowledge building just start from the ground up from day zero with this game. And that's the only thing that I can really say about Skyrim, having not played it, or, or any uh-huh. Elder Scrolls game. You need to correct that and go play Oblivion or something. Yeah, yeah, okay, you you want to fund that? We'll see about it. Okay, yeah, I'll fund it. I'll, I'll buy Oblivion for you. But- it's like five bucks, isn't it? Yeah. No, fun like Skyrim instead. That's three That's articles. Sixty. Okay, yeah, three articles. All right, fine. I'll buy you Skyrim. What? What? Yeah. I get cut off, and she gets Skyrim. Yeah, I'm gonna buy it for you now. Well, I'll finish up. Yeah, do that after I beat my Mass Effect games, and I do that that Planescape playthrough with you. Yep, yep, yep. This no, gets no, cut no. right out, Eric, because we can't talk about wheeling and dealing for other sites on. Critical distance. <laughs> Dip it in. I don't care. That's, a, that's an excellent <laughs> well, pick. It's not, it's, not our, it's not our call, is it? <laughs> Leave it in. I don't care. You know, you realize we've been doing this for five and a half hours. Yeah. It's kind of, my ass hurts so bad. <laughs> Get a laptop. I'm sitting on a comfy couch sinking into the cushions. I have a laptop, but I don't want to bring my mic over there, too. Then it just gets messy. Anyway. Oh, good. Uh... I love how we gushed so much about Bastion and Portal 2, and so far we've got, like, 30 seconds of sky of usable Skyrim. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, circumstances are different. I mean, there's obviously, like, this big push for, like, these AAA titles in November and starting into December. And, you know, Summer is really better known for, you know, the indie-cade stuff that, like, the, like the indie-arcade stuff that... Um, that really Xbox puts on. Yeah, it is actually like the, the exact opposite. opposite of the movies. Right. It's really weird. And but the thing is, I like what we're gonna do at Nightmare Mode so much better than I like what every other site does, except Game Ranks because I think you forgot about it. Where all their best of the year stuff is done before Christmas because they're basically buyer guides, mm-hmm. and that really influences what gets chosen and why, or at least how. 
Nightmare Mode, we're waiting till mid-January to put that stuff up. Why? Well, mainly so we can play it. Play all this stuff. But also because it actually feels a better decision to actually wait. You know, uh, when the year is actually done. But it wouldn't be helping your uh, users. Well, that's you know? not what awards are for, are they? Yeah, the Oscars are done until what? March. You can, you can still buy the games after. Oh, yeah. It, it, it's not like you disappear at midnight. They all disappear at midnight, you know, like Cinderella's character yeah. address. Well, under SOPA, that's probably what will happen. Like that beautiful Twilight Sparkle Twilight. video you linked to and wrote a I mini know. thing about. I know, that's I didn't get to finish it. I didn't get to finish the video. Oh. Well, uh, I, I, would, I would like to gush about uh, Skyrim, actually. Can I I'm gush about the Twilight Sparkle video? Because that was more interesting. We will do. Ooh, I maybe I should leave that one in without context. <laughs> Everyone knows I'm a Brody. Come on. Uh, yeah, but this goes on iTunes. So they it's don't. Like of, it's not like millions of people listen to it. You know? I actually don't know what the download figures are. Yeah, so I'll talk about Skyrim. I have gushed about Skyrim on GameRank's podcast. Maybe Everyone has so. gushed about Skyrim. Your entire game ranks, the, like your features for like two weeks were nothing but Skyrim. Skyrim yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go an entire. I'm probably going to still be like having like a like a Skyrim corner for this week in video game blogging up until like March or something when Mass Effect comes out. Hey, that's what happened with Dragon Age. We were holding bets. You know what? We're still getting Dragon Age articles. I know, yeah, but there was a yeah. break. We were holding bets how long it would take for consecutively. What was the final count on that? I think two and a half months. It missed a week, and then it started up again. Oh! <laughs> Should have kept it going. <laughs> I've been more involved that I would have just snuck something in just in I think. I think it was because... Well, this was the first Dragon Age. I think it was mainly because uh, there was an entire blog dedicated to the critical reading of Dragon Age. Oh. And that I helped. Just, the Grey that, That's what I was going to turn my day at, at Pop Matters into for a while. Uh, I don't know why I didn't. I might have lasted longer. Yeah. All right. That's but totally anyway. good at home here at GameRanks. Just, yeah, just, uh, just, just gush about Skyrim. Skyrim is, wow, where to begin? You know, it is an open world that no other game has offered before, except for maybe Morrowind or Oblivion, but uh, that doesn't matter. Let's sequel. It's a, it, it sparks the imagination, you know, to, to walk in Skyrim is it, it might be ridiculous that you can walk across the face of Skyrim in about 40 minutes or so but I like to think of it as a big, huge, gigantic world where it just so happens that you are in a, you're in a kind of time bubble, you know a, a spatial spa- a, a relativistic bubble of space where everything around you is the only thing that's happening right now, everything else is paused so you have full and utter control of the world you have complete and total agency in Skyrim. Let me put it that way. I like it. I like living in Skyrim. You know? It's a world away from us. <laughs> and in this world, you know, in the real world, it's like you have no control over what goes on. But why are you playing Skyrim music? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was just a cell phone going off. It was. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know... Skyrim feels like a real world, but except that you have total and utter control over what goes on, and it's 
it's fascinating. It, it, it's just fascinating that, you know, this game, it, it behaves emergently to, to the things that you do. You kill one guy in one place, you know, chances are some mercenaries will come after you later on for, for what you did. It's very interesting. And, and of course, you shouldn't fast travel a lot because if you fast travel, you miss all these details. But if you don't fast travel, you, you travel normally, you experience the world as it is and what it offers. It is so amazing. I like it. I, I like Skyrim. It is so immersive. <laughs> that, they're just going to put that on the Game of the Year version. I like Skyrim. Dash <laughs> Ian Miles Chong. GameRamps.com. Yeah. Might as well. It is my game of the year, you know. Have you finished it? No. Of course not. I've only played like 100 hours of it. Not exactly finished. You can't finish Skyrim. It goes on forever. Yeah, it does. It really does. They they have like 300 dungeons in there. I've only explored like, what, 30 dungeons? Yeah. Christ. And here's the interesting part. You know, in, in, in uh, Oblivion, the dungeons are randomly generated, so they're kind of boring. But here, every dungeon is is put together by the developers themselves. They 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 fine tune every dungeon to uh, offer a unique experience. Some of them are long, some of them are short. Doesn't matter about the, the length. Doesn't really matter because each experience, each uh, foray into a dungeon is a unique one, and it's also unique based on the character that you're playing. I mean, if you're like a, like a crazy berserker warrior with a shield and a sword, you know, you can just wade in, punch people. But if you're a uh, Sneak and dagger type, cloak and dagger type of character, and you want to hide in the shadows and do it that way, you know, you stab dudes while they're asleep. It's fun. Now, the game offers all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, challenges for, for your character that you're playing. So, no matter what character you're playing, whether it's a magician or a thief or a warrior, you, you know, you have, you have opportunities to play the way you want. That's what I like about it. It's a very free, and it, it teaches us, you know, it. To me, it's an example uh, of an RPG that uh, that every other RPG developer should take note of. They should take notice of it and say, "Okay, we'll we'll make our games less linear. We'll make our games less uh, closed up. We'll open them up. You know, let the player do what the fuck he wants." And from what I know, the creators of Dragon Age Three are saying that they're actually looking at, at Skyrim, making Dragon Age Three a lot like Skyrim. Apparently, that's mm. good. Will there be dragons in Dragon Age 3? Obviously. Because that's what they'll take from Skyrim and nothing else. I hope so, because I really don't think that, you know, modeling things after the RPG du jour is the way that, you know, Dragon Age is going to suddenly become this massive success. I think, as I said earlier, it's just, you know, five trillion hours ago that the thing that they're doing wrong is trying to appeal to everyone. This is one thing I don't mind them appealing to. <laughs> you know, maybe it'll turn out really well. I don't know. Um, as far as I know, like, Dragon Age 3 is supposed to kind of bridge together Origins and 2 into sort of, like, some more epic narrative. So maybe it would work out really well to have a more open-world environment. I mean, if it works really well, good on them. But I really hope that this isn't just a matter of them trying to emulate any sort of successful game they see on the market. I hope they realize that they're going to have to adjust their mechanics and their dialogue narrative systems if they do that. I don't think they'll... I I hope they just keep the dialogue system they have for Dragon Age 2 because that's the sort of advanced dialogue tiering that we should see in more games. I agree. Not just just wheels, not just options, but 
options within options, options that determine it's like it's like a computer assisted exam or something like that, that after a while it, it creates like a unique character that you would not get just from creating like the emotional whiplash of one of three options every single time. That's something I want to see in more games. Also more default male love interest. <laughs> and we're back to drag and we're back to February. Uh, I'm sorry, but this is what happens when you put me on a podcast. Everything goes back to Dragon Age. Oh, it's going to be fun when we do our Dragon Age podcast. Well, then I'll probably end up talking about Skyrim. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm buying you Skyrim now. Does anyone care about Assassin's Creed Revelations? Uh, Apparently some people that aren't us. (laughs) Sorry! I love the first one. And, well, I haven't been interested enough to get to the the others. I like Brotherhood. I like second one in Brotherhood. They're really good games. I haven't had a chance to play uh, uh, Revelations yet because of Skyrim and because of Modern Warfare 3. They just took up all my time, pretty much. So, nothing to say about it. Sorry. Raymond Origins. You've been, like, squealing about this this entire podcast. You better deliver now. Yeah, do it. Well, go on, Ian. Oh, oh, me? Okay. Oh, yeah, it was me. I thought you both liked it. I haven't played it. I was talking about the E3 demonstration. Uh, Well, talk about that, too. Yeah, talk about... Okay, you go first. Talk about that, too. Go. Adorable. It was like... I remember when we were talking about on E3 that when it was happening, we were just screaming... Like me, Gunthera, uh, Elanian Storm, and many others were just screaming on Twitter to the to the other developers. This is how you do it. This is how you market a game with charm. It can be done. Uh-huh. And it was just, it was just it, charming game. It was just, it was charming. It was bright. It was colorful. It looked like people were happy when that game yeah. was around. And then the mix-up happened because everyone thought, "I wonder when this is this fifteen-dollar downloadable is going to be coming." And it was a sixty-dollar disc-based game, and no one seemed to inform anyone of this. And it, it really disappeared after e- that wonderful E3 demonstration. It just fell off the radar. People assume, you know, that it's a fifty-dollar downloadable game. That's what's going to happen. And it was, and then we, and then it just comes out of nowhere. Oh yeah, it's coming out next week. What's coming out? What? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's kind of like they took the extreme of the oversaturation market to the other extreme of not telling anybody. <laughs> like it was a stealth release. Dumb, 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 dumb. And from what I've heard is that the sixty dollars price for a lot of people are rolling their eyes out. Apparently, it, it not not only is worth it, it earned that price point with the amount of content that's in there. It's a huge game. Many hours. Many hours, many different modes, multiplayer, co-op, and people think, oh, it's good. It's going to be like a Mario game, and it is, except it's huge, and it's more like multiple Mario games put in there. Yep. And nobody knows about it. Well, until they listen to this podcast, anyway, and they'll know about it. Well, yeah, but it, unfortunately, Skyrim is it up. And and then they'll get one million copies sold overnight be because nice. of us. Yeah. After it's dropped in price, like Enslaved and every other game. Well, I don't know if we should feel too bad for Enslaved. No, I'm actually with you on that one, but it's it's just the developers have done better. It just it was a, it was a stumble. 
pity about Rayman Origins. I mean, what, what's there to say? It's a, it's like, it's a, it's a platformer that's awesome. Go play it from uh, a great developer. Yep. And yeah, they fine tuned it. Put as much charm in it as you could literally bake onto a disc, and said, "Here you go." And again, their marketing wasn't talking to their right hand. I don't think the marketers knew it was coming out. <laughs> Maybe did. I think I think Ubisoft realized, okay, we're getting Assassin's Creed Revelations. Market it up the ass, and then he says, "Like we have our game too." Shh, Assassin's Creed. I think that's what happened. Yeah, that seems actually a tragically plausible scenario that. Something like Ubisoft would just put all their eggs into a limited number of baskets and totally screw over what could potentially be a very mass market game. Especially since you, can, since it's not M like uh, Assassin's Creed, you could have actually gotten the younger demographics. Well, I mean, they're gonna get it's the a family M-rated. game. So there's the thing. It's just like it's almost easier to sell M-rated kids to, I mean, M-rated games to those kid <laughs> markets than to sell E games. Not that the game industry wants children. to acknowledge that. I'm going to start selling children now. You know? M-rated children? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if I want to be around for that. I'm pretty sure that's pretty illegal. <laughs> I, I don't even No, I don't want to know. Yeah. Is that like a child who curses a lot? Or what? I don't know. Just, just, just your shut, your ears, shut your ears and, and pretend... Speaking of immature, Saints Row the Third. Uh, what do I have to say about it? Nah. I, I got nothing. It looks stupid. Uh, like, based on the third, uh, third-party comments from my friend Christopher, who has the game, he says it's stupid. It's like, it's got no soul. <laughs> they, just, they just threw everything at it. They're like, oh, what's the craziest thing you can come up with? Like, I don't know, let's put it to purple dilders and let people beat each other with them. Okay, that's basically the game. Isn't it about crash commercialization of, a, uh, of uh, something that used to be good? It's not about it. Saints Row series is never good. It was a uh, it was a ripoff of uh, Grand Theft Auto, the first one. Yeah, but I, mean, I know, but it, it it noticed a market that was for the kooky, weird, really dumb humor when Grand Theft Auto went gritty. Yeah, that's because they ran out of ideas, you know. I'm sorry if you're listening to this, uh, uh, Drew. You know, he, he follows me on Twitter. He's the lead designer of the game. I'm just I'm just shooting the shit here. I haven't actually played it, so I can't. I'm just, I'm just regurgitating what other people are saying. I should actually play it before I comment on this. Mm. Wouldn't make me much of a critic if I, if I agree with what they said. I mean, I haven't played it, so I don't know. I'm just, you know, these are my impressions. It looks really dumb. <laughs> but uh, Skyward Sword. Zelda. I have been following Second Quest on Twitter, and he's been just tweeting while playing through it, and it sounds like he's having an absolute miserable time <laughs> with it. Oh yeah. Poor Richard. Uh, and and slash Eric, I guess. I watched my friend play. Cause... The, uh, the camera is always low. You can't see the sky. It's called Skyward Sword. Can't see the sky. That's like an animal macro right there. It's kind of annoying. Yeah, it's an animal macro, definitely. But it's so annoying. Why would you make the camera like that? What the fuck? It, it, you, it, think about, the thing about third-person games is that you want to be so able to see you want to see forwards, right? You want to see forwards, you want to see up, what's ahead of you. That's important. But when you're only looking at the, uh, the 10 feet in front of a character, it's like, ah, oh, it's kill me now. I have the same problem with, uh, with Dungeon Siege uh, 3. I, I played that recently, I uninstalled it. And you, you're always gazing at the ground, you can't see in front of you, it's like, just kill me now. Horrible. Why would they do that? 
I'm sorry. My general rule of rule of thumb for games like that is just like if they can't get the E3 demo to work for shit, something's probably wrong. Yeah. Especially for a Zelda game. Yeah. And you had Ocarina come out earlier in the year. Yeah, it's just like way to steal any sort of other game's thunder. I mean, it's uh, kind of old, isn't it? Ten years old. It's like, yeah. why, why are we releasing this? Thirteen. Uh, fucking fanboys. Because it's the greatest game of all time? Why would I want to play it, though? What's the point? And one last from November. Minecraft. Here's my review of Minecraft. It's Minecraft. <laughs> you haven't yeah, played it yet. You it's probably kind of like, already own it. Possibly. But That's guys, true. it's like not having a cell phone. It's 2011. Play your Minecraft. On your Nook, or on your graphing calculator, or on your... Oh, it's it on everything. They, they're play. even making Minecraft Legos. They are. It comes on oh, December. It is. Speaking of December, we got That's Star Wars The Old Republic and Trying To. Okay, I played Trying To. You want to talk about Star Wars? I think we actually covered that over the rift when we were talking about MMOs, because that was the one I was talking about when they took the instancing. I'll talk, about, I'll talk about Star Wars The Old Republic. This is from what I know. I haven't played it, because I have no intention of playing an MMO again. It's WoW, basically WoW, with a dialogue that's like Knights of the Old Republic. And, you know, as a fan of the Knights of the Old Republic, i got to ask them, why? Why do this? Why not just make Knights of the Old Republic 3? Why? Why do you have to make an MMO? It's gonna, it's gonna fuck up in like two weeks, it's gonna go free to play, and then it's, that's gonna be the end of it, you know? So, why? why? Why do this? You're terrible. Terrible Bioware. Terrible bad people. Fools. Well, it's because all their... Well, it's because well, all their good people went to Troika. Oh. No, they were never at Troika. No. I know. It began with a T. What are you talking about? The one that made the vampire game. Yeah, that's Troika, but they, they were never, have they were never good, part of Bioware. Black Isle was a subsidiary of Bioware. No, it wasn't. Here's, here, here, let me explain this. You had Interplay, which is a publisher. Black Isle was a studio with an Interplay. Bioware is an independent studio based out of Canada, and they made games for Interplay under Black Isle's supervision using the licenses that Interplay had. For instance... Uh, they had a Dungeons and Dragons that's something they made Escape. That is the extent of it. And they made an engine called the Infinity Engine, which Black Isle then leased to make games like Planescape Torment and Icewind Dale. And that is the extent of it. And Troika Studios is the uh, it's the brainchild of three of the leading members of Black Isle Studios who went off to create their own company. And the rest and, went, and half went to uh, Bioware. The other half went to Bioware. No, no, they went to Obsidian. Obsidian. So no, that just, was the. Rem- so I thought Obsidian listeners... was the remnant, the remnants of Troika. The remnants of Troika never went to Bioware. No, the remnants of Troika went to Obsidian. Yeah, the rem- Yeah, and, and and so did many of the members of Black Isle Studios, like Chris Avalone and uh, J. E. Sawyer, uh, the the creator of uh, Neverwinter Nights Two. Yeah, all these guys went to um, they went to Obsidian, and and there they are, and Tim Kane. Who is uh, who? Who co-founded uh, Troika? Yeah, and who created Fallout? Uh, he is back at Obsidian now as a as a as a designer there. And uh, meanwhile, uh, the other guys—I uh, don't know where one of them went, but another one of them, Leonard Boyarsky, he went to Blizzard, and he's now the lead world designer in Diablo 3. You see, I follow these guys very religiously. <laughs> I couldn't even find some of their names. 
That's yeah. how hard they hid them. That's a really yeah. epic little history of Black Island, all the associated everything. And what's yeah, sad is that like when Black Isle broke up, half went one way, half went the other, and the Troika games were full of bugs, but brilliantly imaginative. And the other games, and the ones that Bioware helped them work on, were were dull, stodged as fares, but worked perfectly. And yeah, the last time they had yeah. both of and but when they worked together on Baldur's Gate and all the other, and actually Infinity Engine was also under the first Icewind Dale was also under uh, Interplay. So, yeah, Infinity. Black Isle. Black Isle made it, that one. It's just it just it fell away. It's like you you needed both halves. To make the great stuff. Yeah, you needed really you needed Bioware to make it. Bioware makes, takes full credit for for those games. I mean, they they made the uh, Baldur's Gate series one and two, and Throne of Ball, of course, which is kind of like Baldur's Gate three. Even though Baldur's Gate three was in development by J.D. Sawyer, it was called The Black Hound, and that didn't yes. get made because it took exactly. canceled it to make Fallout Brotherhood of Steel, which is a shitty, shitty uh, action game. It was terrible and should never be spoken of again. And- and Atari now has the D&D license for everything except Baldur's Gate. Correct. Which Interplay no longer owns because they sold it. I don't know who to. I tried to track that down. But it is available DRM free on GOG.com. Yep. All of, all of these games are. I love how we just had an explosion history lesson in the middle of nothing. That was fantastic. I would, I would totally have tuned into this podcast just for that. And not because my voice is on it. Did you uh, read uh, my... Uh, my, my thing on the history of CRPGs along one lineage. I skimmed it. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I've been meaning to get back to it now that I actually have time on my hands. Just earn your degree. Go on, earn your degree. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm going to do that. I'm going <laughs> to do that. Is that the end? Well, we've got to talk We've about hit time. December. We've Just hit December. To. Just trying to oh. talk about that. Is I that even like out? that, actually? Yeah, it's out. It's oh, out. Yeah. Okay. Was this was this week, right? Yeah, this week. Okay. It's awesome. So by the time we'll this airs, it'll be you know like last week. Well, I oh, you know what? I'm not that slow. <laughs> yeah, you are. Shut up. But yeah, I the GDC podcast fun. out in two weeks. <laughs> it's fun. Can't you I love you, fun. Eric. <sighs> so much more to say about trying to. It's fun. So it's much a puzzle game. We'll play. It. Did we even mention Magicka on this list? That came out this year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it's I not a that game that I, I I remember hearing about it, but I've heard nothing of it. Oh, play so. it! It's awesome! I don't know what it is! Okay, have you ever played Cannon Fodder? No. God. Never heard of it. Cannon Fodder. Never Jesus. heard of it! It's one of the classics, okay? Anyway, you, you control a dude, um, you're a mage. I don't know if you're male or female, you're just a mage, right? You're a wizard. And you cast spells. You, uh, it's like do. you control them from the from the top down. You know, you move them around. You move one guy around, and then you you aim to shoot stuff. You aim to shoot stuff. But in order to shoot stuff, you have to cast a spell. And the spells are A S D F Z X C V. And these buttons, uh, if you, you you use them in combination, like each each letter is equal to an element. For instance, life, fire, lightning, ice, and so on. If you combine these things, they, they form different spells. For instance, if you take fire and water, you have steam, okay? And you have a steam spell that you can blow it. People, it blows people away. It doesn't do much. And then you have a rain spell, which is water and lightning. 
and you know you can cast a thunderstorm to kill everybody on the map. And that's that's what the game is. It's about being creative with uh, with your spells, and you play in front of people, and you can kill each other. It's it's really hilarious because everybody kills each other by accident. <laughs> so it's almost like Scribble Knots, but uh, with eight keys. Yeah, and and and, and a lot of uh, it's not really a puzzle game at all. It's just killing shit. You kill stuff, and it's so crazy that uh, they oh, released I've never a, seen a game do that before. Uh, they release a, 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 a Vietnam expansion pack where that, you're all ninjas, awesome. and, you're, and you're in the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Army is ninjas, and you know you have Huey flying overhead, and you're fighting goblins that are basically Viet Cong. It's fun. You have machine guns. It's a wonderful send-up, I think, of just action games in general. And it, it, I think the, like, the advertising for it even played upon like the Call of Duty advertising mm-hmm. um, aesthetic to sell the expansion. It, yep. it, I mean, if nothing else, it's just like, this is a developer with tons of humor to it. And they made a new one, which uh, pays tribute to Cthulhu. It's a Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, that's the latest one. It's a... It's a the stars are left. That's what it's called. And it's all about Cthulhu. The whole game is just Cthulhu. It's crazy. It's set in the 1940s. <laughs> so funny. I just don't Yeah. <laughs> Timeliness. That's a wonderful message. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, since we're just pulling out games that no one's ever heard of, but you should definitely mm-hmm. play, speaking of PC games, Avadon the Black Fortress. What is that about? That is an indie RPG that's about the this world where the lore is really... This is the lore. Blah, blah, blah. Five nations came together, blah, blah, to protect civilization. Blah, blah, blah. Fortress came up as the mercenary political guard to do things, or whatever they need to do, against the encroaching dark... Blah, 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 darkness. You are a new guy who has been blah, blah, blah... Something goes wrong, blah, 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 test of fate, blah, blah, blah. Entered in mercenaries, end of tutorial. Go out into the world, do stuff. Huge conversation engine. It's large. It's a conversation engine with deep, interesting characters, themes of political backstabbing and of gamesmanship. and And some of the lore actually is interesting and intriguing to see where it goes in. I only got to play the demo. I played for 15 hours and never saw the end of the demo. Wow, that's kind of long. It wasn't 15 hours, it was like 10, but I was just going, and I was going, and it was like, there was still more to see, and it was interesting, and the, and the combat was simple and quick, and it's got, it's got actual interesting characters that you can talk to with their own foibles and follies. I have no idea what else is in there, but it's got such wonderful setup, and it's got an interesting, at least throwback to the combat engines of old, Except with the with the UI and simplicate and streamlining of the new, its graphics aren't great, but it's an indie RPG. You can get it on the cheap, especially now if you hear this in time for the Steam sales. Yeah, so that's uh, another game that you should get. Mm-hmm. As long as we're nominating sort of outliers for the uh, closing of this podcast, I would like to recommend. Um, another indie RPG, uh, To the Moon, from Freebird Games. It doesn't feature combat, but it does feature one hell of an interesting and atypical narrative. It's a bit short, like their average playtime for PC, they say, is four and a half hours. 
So you might consider that, you know, a bit much for the price. But again, stop thinking without your wallet, even though I know that's difficult. So yeah, uh, go and check that one out. Cool. Okay. You got any others, Ian? No, that's it. And I got one. Cat in the coup. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a great one. Totally. I don't know. Iran. Yes, it's a free game on Steam, or at least it was when I got it. And it's like a documentary sort of adventure platforming thing where you play it as the di- director of Iran as he goes through the history of his life. It's like an artistic docudrama thing. It's hard to classify, but it's interesting, it's free, it's short, and it's indie. Get you play it. play a cat, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, you, you play the it. play the uh the president's cat before, after he's disposed. And what? I don't know if this came out this year, but Cthulhu Saves the World and Breath of Death Seven. Funny, funny RPGs. Get them. Okay. And now I think we've gone in detail over everything, probably more extensively than we should have given our given the time. Yes. But if we were to sum it all up, sum up this <laughs> year in gaming. <laughs> How would we begin to do that? Uh, I don't know about you, but it seemed a pretty average year. I know, I know that Ken Levine was. Skyrim. Shut up! I know you're going to give. That's the thing. Yeah, but then you had Duke Nukem and Forever. So if you really average out the scales, and you had you had a lot of highly you had a lot of highly competent stuff in the middle, but that just it's more. That's what it already was. Every single year we get together and say, yeah, this was an awesome game. It's one of the best ever. Well, they can't always be one of the best ever. They can I mean, be. Two, Why not? Well, no, that's the thing is, 1998, the greatest year in video game ever. No, it was the greatest ever. The closest, 1999 comes in second, followed by 87. And, ni- and 1998 had 10 all-time classics. That's a huge number. But on average, every year gives us three to four really classical, memorable games. And this year, I don't think is going to be that much different. Yeah, I mean, there, the I, mean I, now, I definitely couldn't fill a top ten for games this year. Partly okay. because I'm stingy, and partly because I just don't feel that there's that very that much that deserves it. I mean, well, you say, you say stingy. You say stingy. I say higher standards. Okay, I'll but accept the gaming, that. The gaming community really has to raise its standards, because you know what? Not every game is going to be greatest ever. 50% is not going to be... You're going to be lucky to get 10% in any given year of great, phenomenal stuff, because that's how the scale works. 90% of everything is crap, 10 is great, and of that 10, 1% will be an all-time classic. So really, on the whole, we did pretty good for ourselves. Mm-hmm. I do. I got like three or four games out of it, and one of them made me... And at least two of them made me gush on this podcast more than I probably should. Man, that's what editing's for. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the thing is, I've heard people describe this as, well, the games that may be true, but otherwise this was a, a shitty year. And honestly, I call it an exhausting year. It did seem very long, didn't it? It's just... Uh, I mean, even if you just like step outside of games in general, I mean, if you take a look at the economy, if you take a look at political movements, it's just like this year was fucked up. I want a new one. And uh, and this is this is the kind of year that makes you hope 2012 is the last one that the Mayan thing comes to pass because I know I do because that means I won't have to pay my student loans back. It's just exhausting. I don't know where to go with that. 
it's well on that happy note <laughs> on that happy note i am your oh should we all sing like odd like saying or something like that oh good lord no on that happy note much better than the one i left on i am your host eric swain occasional contributor to this week in video game blogging you can read my stuff at thegamecritique.com. I also now write for nightmaremode.net and popmatters.com at the Moving Pixels blog. And with me remaining is Ian Miles Chong, editor-in-chief of GameRanks, and I'm sure you can find his writing elsewhere on the internet soon and forevermore. Hello. Goodbye. And, and <laughs> editor-in-chief curator Chris Ligman, formerly of Moving Pixels and soon to be at GameRanks. And also uh, some other places, too. I'm sure you are. Our, our lists are getting longer every time. Yeah, and my and personal... It, uh, hey! Oh, sorry. I, oh, that's I, right. PR and stuff! It's my time to, to promote myself. Dire Critic, who no longer writes Rouse, but talks about ponies. Yeah, that's pretty much all I've got there. I also do little other blogs and stuff. Yeah, and stuff. Finally... We would like to thank our overlord and founder, the man who made all of this possible, Ben Abraham, the man who makes all of it daily possible, but in the back end, David Carlton, and our new contributor we welcome with open arms, Katie Williams. We are sorry you couldn't make it through the whole phase, but I'll be surprised if many of our listeners made it this far. And if you had, the secret code is cat. Look at that picture I posted in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you all. Thank you all, and thank, thank you, Ian. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, David. Thank you, Katie. It's been a blast. I'm here for another three hundred and sixty-six days. <laughs>